0: Hey, everybody! It is Yasser! I forgot my line. I'm just kidding. It's (laughs) Isaiah! Uh, We are from my brother Sneaker, and we've got a little announcement. We are teaming up with a podcast app called Spoke to give you three exclusive uh, episodes. Uh, Spoke is a new audio platform made by SiriusXM that creates podcast playlists to help you find new shows to listen to. The Spoke team handpicks the best moment from a ton of podcasts and creates playlist clips from a bunch of shows, and you can just search and try them out and find anything that you love. For instance... Oh, yeah. There's a playlist on there uh, called Slice of Life, which is all about, like, crazy, incredible things that happen to everyday people. Like, I just learned this, bro. I just learned some people pay their bills on time, dog. Oh, is that a thing? Dog, people will have a bill due date, and they will pay that bill before then. That's crazy to me. Before then. You know what else is crazy? What? Spoke also has a, a lot of fun, exclusive content from Feral Audio. Yeah. Um... It's just, you know, like our tournament episodes are going to be, Oh like, yeah. you know, there's going to be stuff like Sleep With Me, a lot of our, our other great shows here at Farrell. You don't want to miss it. Yep. Download Spoke now. It's free in the App Store or on Google Play. And be sure to check out all of My Brother's Sneakers' exclusive Spoke episodes at hearspoke.com slash mybrotherssneakers. MBS, MBS. Model boys, cute boys, round butt boys all day.
1: Guys, I want to tell you about a great sponsor I have, Bompus. They're premium, high-performance athletic socks, and they're so comfortable you're never going to want to take them off. And because socks are the number one requested item in homeless shelters, for every pair of socks purchased, Bompus donates one pair of those to those in need. Almost one million pairs donated to date, 15% off the first purchase of four or more socks, plus free shipping. So go to getbompus.com slash feral and buy some comfortable socks. Hello. Welcome to Conversations with Matt Dwyer. How are you, everybody? I'm doing fine. Thanks for asking. You know, I could use a haircut. I kind of got a little bit of a... On my mind. But you know, other than that, you know, I mean, these are minor, minor problems, so I really can't complain. Overall, my life's pretty good. Uh, if you like my theme music, there—that's uh, Les Blanks. Check them out at lesblanks.com. Uh, if you're regular listeners of my show, I've plugged my Jail Guitar Doors comedy night that I was doing, and we did it, and it was uh, an awesome success. It was. Uh, we sold out. People donated extra money. We sold a ton of merch. All the comedians killed. Horatio Sands, in particular, did a thing that I, he did a Groucho Marx grandson, Coco Marx. And, uh, seriously, it's one of the funniest things I have seen in a long time. If you, uh, get <laughs> we're doing probably another one of those shows sometime in September. So, uh, I hope you can check that out. Um,. And also, Wayne Kramer brought up a bunch of friends, and they jammed a few songs, and that was really great. Uh, if you if you haven't, if you're not one of my regular listeners, and you're listening for the first time, uh, the show is just what it uh, says it is. It's uh, a conversation with me, Matt Dwyer, and uh, it's just a loosey-goosey form, kind of a free-for-all thing. Um, this episode is with a uh, gentleman who works with the School of America's Watch, and he's a human rights and immigration lawyer Arturo Viscara And the thing about this uh, conversation is that it happened. Uh, I recorded it right the day after uh, Hugo Chavez died. So we have a Hugo Chavez conversation. I personally don't know a lot or didn't know about a lot of uh, about Hugo Chavez at the time. Uh, but, you know, I, with this show, there's, we had some technical issues. And okay, so thus the really big delay of why it Is a few weeks later It's just been a Sometimes you just have issues With getting episodes out there But it's out there And it's a really great I I don't know if you know What the School of Americas is We go into that Um, It's a really great conversation I think you'll enjoy it I enjoy it Let's all enjoy it I am speaking with Arturo Vascara. You are a human rights immigration lawyer and an activist with the School of the america's watch and um i kind I want to get into the School of America's watch in a second, but i there is something because uh yesterday Hugo Chavez passed away, and i I've seen that on your Facebook page you've had a lot of thoughts um, about it, and you were saying on one of your posts about how a lot of people are going to be celebrating the death of a bad guy, but that he was actually not... I mean, he did a lot of great things, and I don't... Uh, how has that been confused, or, or what is the the image of Hugo Chavez you think most people don't understand?
2: Um, well, I think that, um, you know, just quite just plainly that, well, most people get here in the United States um, is a a dominant narrative from even the supposed uh, left-wing press, at least what passes for that in the mainstream, um, in in the U.S. in the mainstream press um, is a very distorted picture of him um, largely to do with the fact that just overall the, the press doesn't really question the the United States government on foreign policy very well um, in the same way that it would have happened to, it happened in the, the Iraq war, you know, which is the most more recent um, egregious uh, example. Um, and then, you know, you have the Washington Post and New York Times publishing I me mean, a cold after, after the fact, after, after this, you know, horrific war of choice was, was unleashed on, on, on the Iraqi population. Um, and then they go back and say, oops, my bad, but they don't really seem to come to terms with the fact that they are uh, have huge influence, unfortunately, uh, continue to have it. And even though it's lessening, obviously, with, with, with alternative media such as yours and, and just grassroots media, that's obviously changing that as people just trust the press so much, but I think that you have to start there uh, with the way that the, he's portrayed in, in the press and, and like I said, some of these supposed liberal flagships um, like the New York Times included um, and others that might even seem a little bit more progressive supposedly and I think it just kind of also boils down to just the fact that um, you know most uh, you know even liberal even liberals like the classic white liberals. Of the U.S. are, are not uh, have, have a very um, <clears throat> distorted, uh, stereotypical view of, of Latin America, and um, I think that Chavez's um, personality, his strong personality, and in his, in his some of his sound bites and uh, and uh, quote-unquote outrageous quotes over the years make it has reinforced that for them, and that it it, it doesn't allow them to really consider just some of the basic. Facts, or to disregard some of the more basic facts that, at the end of the day, uh, matter much more. Whether or not he he called George George Bush the devil or not. Um,
1: I think it's funny that people get offended that he called George Bush the devil when George Bush kept calling people evil evil doers, which is even it's it's like that our 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 politicians do uh, say worse things and act much worse. It's like right. And, and and as far as I've always known about uh Hugo Chavez, i mean the one thing he fought off american oil and and capitalism, which to me is is phenomenal
2: <laughs> right i mean i mean at the end of the day like what what did he do he accomplished um a lot of things because he exactly he turned uh why they almost you know they you know the u s was involved in a coup attempt against him in two thousand and two he was actually ousted for um, 48 hours or 72 hours. I, don't, I forget right now. I think it's 72 hours. He was, uh, you know, effectively toppled. And then by, because of the popular will and, um, and because of some of those in the military refusing to execute orders to, to kill him, to assassinate him um, while, while they had him in captivity, um, and also realizing that he did not actually resign and that that was a lie and there wasn't any type of lawful succession, um, then, you know, that's why he survived the coup attempt. And, um, you know, people also don't realize that he, that basically was one of the most, that moment, that whole experience was, was something that made him just basically say, well, I've tried to cooperate with the U.S uh we you know, we we want to be established we want this oil money to go towards funding social programs that benefit the majority of Venezuelans instead of the, the small elite that's traditionally held on to to all of the proceeds from the national oil. And uh instead of, you know, negotiating with him on that, um, on behalf of the, you know, big oil companies that were operating in Venezuela, the the US instead, you know, decided to to go back to that dark history of just simply saying, well, nah, one, how, how about we just not deal with you? And, um, you know, was 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 there's so much circumstantial evidence of the U.S. involvement in the coup. Um, and then that basically was what radicalized him much further and made him just kind of say, well, if you're going to, you know, why should I not, why am I going to bite my tongue? Why am I not going to do the policies that, uh, are actually needed in Venezuela, and that uh, the people want, and that I think should should happen. If you're gonna you're gonna hate me either way, so, um, and that's that's basically what happened. And, and and then so he's just been vilified by, by, every you know most outlets of the press. Every once in a while, you'll get a a good uh, you know a, a, a decent article from the mainstream press on, on Venezuela or Chavez, but. Um, you know, I, I actually worked at an organization uh, called Center for Economic and Policy Research. Well, I actually just interned there uh, five years ago, and it was my job to do the, the news roundups um, every day, you know. And it was just kind of a Google alert from Venezuela and Argentina, Brazil, Bolivia, um, you know, a lot, most of the countries in, in South America. And it wasn't until then that I kind of realized that it seemed – I mean, I don't know if – you know, it sounds too conspiratorial or if if it's the right word to say that it was like a a concerted media campaign, but it was, you definitely saw them adhering to the same parameters across media, uh, uh, across from supposedly conservative and liberal press, where it was just kind of, you you played up the same memes and the same um, stereotypes, Chavez is crazy, Venezuela's economy is a disaster. Um, it's chaos in Venezuela. It's violent in Venezuela. Chavez is crazy. You know, like, it was just, it was just, there was never any context to, to, to some of the things that he would say that did that sound, that might sound kind of ridiculous if, if you just kind of take the quote in by itself without the context. Um, I personally found him to be just pretty hilarious like, <laughs> on a lot of what he's saying. But for some reason, people took offense, even though, you know, the same people that hated Bush, right? It's like they take, they would, they could say whatever they would want, you know, they would think worse things about him than the calling him the devil, especially at that time. And then,
1: I had oh, a lot of course,
2: there's still that. Yeah, yeah.
1: I had a lot of hard, harsh words for Bush, and I, I don't think that sounds conspiratorial about our media. I mean, I think our media has. Especially in the last twenty years, siding, you know, being more corporate and American-minded, their message—it's—it's you know, it's phenomenal. The things that don't make it into our mainstream press—that are, you know, look how long it took to, for drone attacks to start getting in mainstream media, or the the NDAA Act, which is is an abomination of civil rights. It's like you barely hear anything about that. Um. Mm-hmm. And yeah, do you exactly. do you think that America is good? The United States is going to try to uh, now that Chavez is dead. Do you think Venezuela is going to try to hold strong, or do you think the United States is going to try to stick their filthy foot in there?
2: Well, as far as I'm trying, that's not a matter of of trying to of, of, of speculation. That's that's a certainty um, one way or the other. I mean, that's just as certain as the as the sun rising in, in the East, there, there's definitely, you know, attempting to let's see, how would they put it? You know, um, you know, just secure U S interests in the region. Um, but, uh, that obviously means internal trying to pick the winners and, 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 and trying to paint the narrative. And they're going to try to pull some crazy upset, in the election that's going to occur now that chavez is 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 dead um, and they know it's a desperate situation, but obviously they it's the first chance that they've had first realistic chance they've had in in, in a while at least in their minds so um but I think it's pretty much a done deal that his um that the the, the vice president from his party will will we' will'll we'll, we'll win in the elections unless something crazy happens, which is obviously not not out of the question but i i mean I definitely couldn't speculate on what that exactly would be, but you know the news before he died the hours before that was that Venezuela had expelled some um two u s embassy attaches um for supposedly conspiring with the elements of the military um which is obviously i mean that's where the a lot of the power really is as hell, that's where Chavez I mean, Chavez wouldn't have come to power if he had not come from the military. And um, you know, so that's always a constant struggle, constant game to make sure that the military is still um on the side of the of the administration given its historical tendencies to 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 side with right wing dictatorships and uh, you know, it's just basically the 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 oligarchies and the capitalist class. So um, I also think that <laughs> it, some people now, is that true? Were these people actually conspiring with the, Venez- in the Venezuelan opposition and the, the, trying to obtain information, uh, intelligence with, with the military? I think it's probably true. Now, is it something that, oh, they just discovered yesterday and, 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 and so they immediately uncovered it? I doubt that as well. I think it's also kind of just expected. That's kind of what the U S does. Um, but they also, I think wanted to send a message to, to the military. Um, they wanted, I I felt like there was a genuine fear within the administration that there was something, something afoot, you know, and you can't, you know, people like think that, Oh, and then they criticize them for being paranoid and, and 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 you know obsc- you know what's the opposite of transparent whatever that is the opposite of transparent, um, and it's kind of like you're forgetting the context of of the fact that the the CIA is real and it doesn't it's not just some movie heroes they actually <laughs> you know <laughs> go around and they topple governments which they already. They've done in latin america it's interesting
1: yeah it's interesting they call like oh he's paranoid it's like America is constantly like no, they're a threat, and these guys are a threat, and they're a threat, so we need to bomb them before they're actually a real threat <laughs> it's like we're the most paranoid frightened country there is and 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 what yeah, yeah. and you were saying like uh <clears throat> we it, it was leading into you work with the school of America's watch, which um uh, I just for those of people who don't know what the School of Americas is, would you um, shed some light on that for people who may not know what that is exactly?
2: Yes. Yeah, so the the School of the Americas is a military training school um, that's existed for, um, <clears throat> I think it's about 60 years. I should know exactly how long it is, but it, it, it's, it's about 60 years. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And at first, it was established in panama um and they would train Latin American military there um and those men would oftentimes <clears throat> end up being the ones that would rise to power <clears throat> within the ranks uh especially given the U.S.'s huge influence and and, and, and who in and, and almost all of these countries and actually and who does ascend within the military um And then the school, excuse me, moved to uh, Columbus, Georgia at a U.S. Army base um, called Fort Benning. And um, it continued to operate and teach uh, uh, Latin American military personnel, whether, you know, not just Army, but Air Force, Navy, um, Marines, and <clears throat> definitely, you know, recruit some of them for intelligence purposes. Um, and these these graduates have gone on to be involved in um, almost every, you know, all of these coups that we talk about, or that we, you know, just kind of uh, refer to briefly uh, at the beginning, and also committing <clears throat> gross human rights violations, Um, including being uh, involved, being the decision makers and uh, trigger men for some of the biggest uh, massacres in uh, modern Latin American history.
1: Um, Some of the statistics I read of that there's been tens of thousands of dead and missing people, uh, and especially in uh, the country that you were born, El Salvador, which is, I mean, part of the reason you and your family. How old were you when your family fled El Salvador?
2: I was actually just six months old when we we fled. I, I of course, you know, I just happened to be born, um, like within months of when the civil war in the country uh, officially started. There had already been violence and massacres before that, and some um, sporadic armed. Uh, resistance and, and um, but it really didn't, you know, officially become a civil war until 1980. And so uh, we, we fled due to some threats to the family, and um, we actually just bounced around in a couple of the countries in Latin America um, before moving to the United States due to my dad's job. So um, it's definitely. I don't necessarily you know <clears throat> point directly to the school of the Americas as the reason it's just one of one of the tools and one of the support structures for this kind of domination and and and, and violent not just domination of the u s but violation of do, domination of violent forces um, in in Latin america um, so but you know in particular in El Salvador, they are Pulitzer graduates are linked to the biggest human rights violations, the most famous human rights violations, uh, massacres and, and assassinations. Um, the one some people here would be most familiar with would probably be the so, there was a rape and there was the rape and murder of three U.S. churchwomen. Um, that was kind of early. That was eighty eighty one, one of that, um,
1: that was very big news. I mean, I was. Pretty young when that happened, but I remember hearing about that a, a great deal. Mm-hmm. And uh, and 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 Bishop Romero and it, it, they they shot Bishop Romero in his in his church, did they not?
2: Right, as he was giving mass, um, giving actually the Eucharist, and that's when he was killed. And he shot it, there. That was also orders. Uh, of- <laughs> The graduates, and um, also, yeah, that those are famous and the most famous, obviously, martyrs. Some of the most famous martyrs, the Jesuit priests. In 1989, that was also a, kind of an incident that kind of forced the U.S. because of some um, brave Congress persons in uh, the U.S. To, to 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 push and push and push for um, the end of of U.S. funding of the war, and therefore. Um, an armistice and then before that there was also a massacre of about 800 unarmed mostly women and children in El Mosote which was also per- per- was also executed by SOA graduates
1: now it's a What would the what what does the United States have to gain by meddling in all these countries' politics? Is it is it the I mean they often say security, but it I mean is it a lot of it corporate money based? I know there's. Um, wasn't there just oil found or a lot of in Colombia there was something recently, where it's like oh that's it's a pure like oh yeah that's why you're dicking around there because it's it's money.
2: (laughs) Yeah, I mean I I think it always. there's always going to be corporate interests involved, uh, the, the, just the capitalist kind of... Um... Yeah, capitalist drive, right? The, the, I can't even... Obviously, the, the best source for, for any of this would be The Open Veins of Latin America by Eduardo Galeano, um, which was written about 40 years, 40 years ago, and it talks about the, the economic relationships, between not just the U.S., but the West, and, uh, and not just Latin America, but the, the developing world or the global South, but obviously with the focus of the U- U.S. versus Latin America. And, um, you know, just having Latin America still serves as, as a primary product um, place, you know, whether it be, you know, wood or minerals or um, increasingly now just just energy um, uh, you know, coffee, bananas, you know, obviously that, that term comes from something banana republic uh, because it really does refer to how they thought of some countries that that was really what they were good for and that when there was a, you know, government that came to power democratically elected like government in Guatemala that wanted to nationalize some of the land owned by the United Fruit Company, which is um, the predecessor to Chiquita, Um, uh, then they, you know, the, they forced through a, a coup d'etat. This is one of the, you know, one of the first CIA coups. Um, I think it was slightly after Mossadegh in, 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 in Iran, but, you know, it was a little site, a lot of psyops. There was some military involvement, but it, it really, um, also was just a huge propaganda, um, operation and that, that succeeded. And there was you know <clears throat> replaced the democratic elected uh president with hakababard Benz was his name with a military dictatorship that that lasted um you know until nineteen ninety six um at the end of that civil war because that basically touched off the civil war that began but but the repression and the and then the finally the the popular explosion against it would occur in the seventies but um you know and, and and wow i mean I, you talk about el salvador but guatemala really was a, a country right next door that that experienced genocide um at the hands of gen S, SOA graduates were were also the the main people in power that that you know ordered <clears throat> and presided over these um basically a a the campaign of ethnic cleansing and and genocide so um it's 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 just it's kind of it's always been the case. Um, really just it just kind of seemed to die down after the cold the quote unquote cold war ended. But um, the cold war mentality has continued um, from the United States as far as Latin America is concerned, and that's what you see in Venezuela's continuation of that with, with the coup in 2002 and and the continued um, uh, you know just belligerence bl- 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 towards Hugo Chavez. And anybody else that challenges the the that relationship of, of of domination um and you know of 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 having the those these natural resources you know Venezuela has more resources than Saudi Arabia and they were actually being funded to educate and the people and give them um basic needs and and health care and housing and land agrarian reform and all sorts of things and and that's just that in and of itself is, is a threat. Is seen by the United States as a threat. Now, is it a threat? I don't think so. But people need to understand that their government does see that as a threat. And I think that there's a lot of naivety, um, especially from from the so so-called liberals and progressives that uh, don't see that the country is really is kind of would would crush them if they lived in Latin America.
1: And does the when these. When country, when military comes up from Latin America to train with with the School of the Americas, is this solely on the School of America's dime or, or the United States taxpayers' dime? Is is that how?
2: Yeah, I'm sorry. I know you, you kind of asked me that question a little bit better. So I would go back to sorry. To I'll back check a little bit, but they, I do think that the whole purpose of of the school is. Um, is it is to keep control of the militaries. By by extension, the US military sees sees these men that they these soldiers that they train as now being their allies and their go to men and therefore in their control in their pocket and um so they could then call on them when they really need something, when they are in a position to influence the outcome of a situation, of a political situation in a country. And then that would usually ends up being for for economic reasons, but I do think that there is also just a kind of, um, there's still a a residual um, just racism. I don't don't think there's any other term for it that that where the U.S. uh, believes um, that the natural order of things is that uh, the U.S., Says and Latin America does, and um, you can trace that back to, to the Monroe Doctrine, which was very explicit in saying that. And the attitude continues from 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 um, from the U.S. government, and they are just. I feel like they're definitely it's just this kind of this is what we do, this is how things are. We are we are the bad motherfuckers in, in the hemisphere. And nobody else. It just, nobody else can step to that.
1: Right. It just. It seems like it's inevitable that that's gonna come back I mean it has come back at us at, to a degree with nine eleven, or not to a degree to a big degree <laughs> but I mean it, and that I can't see that stopping it's like if we keep putting our dirty dicks in other countries it's like people are gonna get fucking sick of it and it's like and uh, the United States isn't known to be the most trustworthy I mean the School of America's trained Noriega and then in the 80s they went to war with Noriega which was a I mean, I'm Latin America has to be getting wise to... It's like, oh, you do business with America, and it's like, you know, it's like the scorpion and turtle story. It's like they're, they're um, going to sting you.
2: Yeah, I mean, exactly. Like, they, <clears throat> you know, the school is operated to the tune of... We don't know the exact figures because they're very... Uh, sketchy about releasing any information about the school, um, and happen and increasingly so actually. Um, but you know, they spent at least $18 million and that is U S taxpayer money, um, funding this school. And they, you know, in the eighties, it came out in the nineties, but you know, they were definitely teaching these dictatorships, um, they had cia torture manuals that that came out they had you know illegal torture manuals that they were showing these soldiers how to torture their own population and um <clears throat> that uh you know they've they basically have gone through uh they've re- they've kind of at least woken up to the the pr aspect of it so now they have Supposedly, you know, human rights courses that they give to the soldiers, but um, <laughs> with, with their the torture day...
1: manual. I mean, it's just, it's <laughs> right. a contradiction of like make, make them a pie after you waterboard them.
2: Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly. Well, waterboarding isn't torture, so they're probably teaching that now, but that's not torture. So we don't right. we don't know what's going on there now. I mean, we'll, it's always there's always a time lapse as far as what we know is happening. Um, you know, what we suspect and what we know because of, of of you know the the laws as far as what they have to divulge, um, and uh, so we don't know exactly what's going on right now. But obviously, there's there's still uh, they definitely still instill a mentality within the the military, the militaries, the people that are trained there. That um, you know the you know patriotism and democracy equals capitalism um so if you don't you can't even it's in, it's just in there and what they teach it seems to be an oxymoron that uh the military could uh follow the orders of a social socialist government um even if it's a social democratic government or just a or sometimes the center left government is enough
1: and you were um, and you you were yep. saying that um to, to in america people are like ew socialism is wrong but it's like in a lot of these other countries where they're very impoverished they yeah. they re- greatly rely on social uh, 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 uh I'm blanking on the uh, my brain just sh- went froze on me <laughs> but pro social programs it's it's a it's, it's a much different situation in in certain countries where they they need social programs to eat and live
2: right i mean that's i mean that's two different that's two really important points there one would be as you said one is that okay every single country in this world has some degree of quote unquote socialism we have social security here i mean it's in the name we have medicare we have medicaid these are safety nets, that's, it's because we, you know, if you don't have anything like that, then you have to be, then you have to, you have a country, then you have what Latin America has looked like historically and what it's tried to, it's tried to move itself away, away from. But, you know, you have people living in communities that are, they're made out of, you know, junk parts and, dirt, and living on dirt floors and kids don't have shoes and they're contracting, uh, Completely curable diseases, preventable diseases, and um, you know people don't have any employment, and there's no way to break that cycle between that and the education gap, and obviously, and it goes on and on. And obviously, you know some of the countries that are supposedly the most, the happiest and the most stable economically and politically and everything are these, um, you know, the Scandinavian countries, and. Um, you know, they're like you said, I think you're alluding to them, they're 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 completely they're socialists if you given the fact that they you know, their income inequality is so small, there's so much so many state benefits, uh so many state grants for different things, you know, have a kid, here's some money, um, graduate school, here's some money, here's a free education, free university education, um, you know, all sorts of benefits like that. Unemployment is, is extremely disability is extremely um, you know, here there's a supposed, this supposed attitude that that's, that's you know, that, that's heresy and anti-capitalist and you have to pull yourself up by your bootstraps. And then it's like some of the people that are like, you know, it's just kind of funny because then, you know, for example, some of the people that are most vehement about this kind of stuff, there was like a poll about, you know, people complaining about Obamacare and then pretty you know sizable chunk of the of, of, of the people, some of these tea partiers that were going out, coming to the D.C. And, and, and going out and protesting, where you know have Medicare and, and Social Security and disability and these kinds of things, and yet they don't think the government should be involved in their healthcare, but they already are. Um, so it's kind of this kind of weird psychosis that, that that happens here, that they don't think it's good for them, but it's called, but it's bad for other people, and it's called something else for other
1: people,
2: (laughs) so, Um, I don't, it's, it's really baffling, obviously, there could be, there's books, it could be written about it, and I don't know about that mentality, but exactly how that, it's, it's still baffling to me how that, how that occurs, but, um, they, uh, they obviously don't, didn't like, don't like it when Latin American countries, uh, try to, you know, redistribute. Just even the natural—it's not even redistribute the wealth that exists. It's just redistribute the new inflows of wealth um, and create uh, institutions that that benefit the majority of people. For example, you know, one of the things Chavez has done uh, with the oil money in Venezuela was create the fifth largest uh, university system in the world, free free university education for hundreds of thousands that before would have been lucky to. Uh, graduate from eighth grade or high school. It's amazing
1: so, too because the United States could do that in in and we don't. <laughs> it's like we have all the resources to educate and and distribute medicine and healthcare, and we're just like go fuck yourselves, people. <laughs> it's and I I personally don't think it will change. I think that I don't unless there's a real people really get out there and start protesting. I, you know, that they'll just keep letting the the citizens suffer, and it, it'll get worse. I think it continues to get worse. Um,
2: yeah, I I agree with you. I think that they're basically. I mean, things have changed, and and the reasons for historically how 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 these um deletes have uh have have operated. I think it is changing in the sense that they're becoming more. The, you know, the elites are becoming increasingly international themselves and not really being tied to a country. And I think maybe that's part of the reason why the United States has, uh, is continues this slide, um, you know, towards, towards like what, towards looking more and more like the quote unquote third world, um, because it gives less and less of a shit about what the, the elites and the governors care less and less on what they, what what happens to the lower classes um and you know it's because they don't they're not really bought into this country anymore and i don't think that that's really going to change um anytime soon um it's, it's only going to get worse at least as far as they can get away with it i mean there's you know right now they're you know they're playing chicken with the economy every couple of months because to make sure that you know uh the richest people in this country don't pay more taxes, and that's like supposedly more important than the welfare of millions and millions of other people that um, whose survival and and sanity is actually on the line, not their yeah, not their yachts and and other things. So,
1: I have two yachts. I think you need to know that I have two very big yachts. <laughs> <laughs> Though I live yeah. in a studio apartment, uh, and I think it should be noted too that the. The School of Americas. Just to get back to the School of Americas, uh, the School of Americas. Oh. Watch. Um, first of all, you your means of protest uh, is at times uh, very. Uh, I, I don't. I don't know. It's impressive, but I mean, there's been uh, hunger strikes, and um, some very major. There's been. You've had more than. You've had like three various hunger strikes. If I'm not mistaken and uh, father bourgeois who formed formed it he, he himself is like snuck onto military bases and <laughs> i dressed it's the work you guys are doing is pretty impressive it's not like this like walk around with signs it's like we're gonna really make a statement which is uh... very impressive
2: oh thank you yeah well theres i mean i am to the organization so um, it definitely was something that I myself you know, I continue just more more so to admire the history of the organization. Um, that that's it's people that are <clears throat> been so so moved and so um outraged and their consciences have been moved by these uh gross injustices and and um and just basically horrific and and let lest we say, evil mentality um, that causes the suffering of so many uh, so, of millions in Latin America that, you know, people here have been willing to to spend time in jail. And, um, as you said, we you know, going hunger strikes, and there's always, you know, the big event that that SRA Watch is known for is... Um, I'm sorry, Matt. Can just hold on just a second? Absolutely. Something.
1: All right. All right. I, I wanted to also, uh, it should be noted that uh, through the, your means of protest, the the School of the Americas was forced to change their name. Was it, was it in the 90s or was it later than that?
2: Um, well, the changing of the name is, is actually, it's only been, that happened about 10 years ago. Um, and that was largely due to the the pressure that that the U.S. was um, the U.S. government was facing from, from members of Congress uh, to investigate and uh, to the, the institution because of just you know a lot of this you know we have a lot of it is based on I guess you would call it I guess circumstantial evidence in the sense of like. We you don't there was a CIA torture manual so that's actually that was very hard evidence direct evidence but uh, in a, in a but in itself it's only direct evidence of training for torture but um, but there's so much you know when it's, I don't really like the saying but it's really how it applies to the schools of America's so when there's enough smoke there must be fire and given the fact that it was a kind of almost like you just assume when the military in any country in Latin America uh, overthrew a government or um, was you know very, really horrible in its, in its overall repression or on specific um, massacres or specific policies of of targeted assassinations that there would be an S O A grad behind making the decisions on that policy, and um, so that that really seemed to be the case. It's almost you just kind of assume that the people involved in these things are, are as of America's graduates. So there was so much out, outcry from from the people, um, especially faith communities and um, other human rights organizations and uh, unions that uh, they put pressure on the Congress to be able to almost um, pass legislation that would have forced the school to close, um, and uh, or defunded it or um, or every and they instead um, some of the some of the the allies of, of the school and the Department of Defense um, came up with a brilliant solution to the situation and they um, they renamed the school and they think that that's they you know they closed it quote unquote for a like uh two weeks, and they um it reopened on the same on the same grounds with the same curriculum with the same instructors with the same program, and so therefore um not that many people really buy it, although um that's just like a guy Peter putting wasn't.
1: on a, a guy putting on a fake mustache and being like, I'm not Peter anymore
2: <laughs> right, right exactly <laughs> exactly. Um, so now it 's called the Western Hemisphere Institute for Security Cooperation, but um, you know it's it's really it hasn't really fooled many people except um, it gives some, some it gives some Congress people the excuse to be able to bow down to the Department of Defense pressure and or because they think that you know that 's what Latin America deserves so um that's that's basically what happened and, and, and now you know, we, we keep on calling it the School of the America's we do refer to it as WinSec so people understand that this this name change has this cosmetic PR campaign uh is occurring and you have to be able to be prepared to counteract it uh counteract it, but um, you know, it's we just it's still we you know, we didn't go around we didn't go back and change our name, we found that to be completely unnecessary, right? Um to change the name of the organization. To win watch, right? So it's still School of America's watch because it's a it's the same it's the same institution, it's still teaching the same thing, they're still they're still um producing massive you know, human rights violators. Are, you know, the, every year.
1: Are there any uh, politicians that have have been very like any congressmen who have been loudly against the School of America's or, or is it always just been kind of a let it go type of situation?
2: No, definitely. Um <clears throat> you know, for whatever reason a lot of the support has come from some Massachusetts uh Democrats. Um Joseph Kennedy um was was one. Um then there was uh another gentleman named by the, uh Representative Joe Lokley, um, who also is vital in, in, in um instrumental in, in, in bringing peace to El Salvador, um, and since then, um, Jim McGovern has kind of taken up the reins. He's, he's an actual congressman now in western Massachusetts, and um, he's the one that usually uh, introduces the bill every term to uh, co- that calls for uh, suspension of the operations of the school and an investigation pending, uh, you yeah, know, suspension of the school pending investigations. Of, of its curriculum, of its effects, of its uh, graduates, and, um, you know, we, we get pretty close. And um, and then they, you know, they've, they've pushed back, and there's definitely um, still other people, so, you know, it's more of the progressive uh, members of, of Congress, and, um, and mostly Democrats. They used to be a lot more bipartisan, but... Support for the closure, um, but or investigation, and but now it's it's increasingly uh, partisan, which is a shame um, because you can you know that there there are definitely some Republicans that uh, they understand and, and they have a conscience and they have they really do believe in democracy and respect uh, for other countries, and therefore would want to see just a you know more transparency at the very least so they supported the bill to just have an investigation if there's nothing to hide then then there shouldn't be a problem so um but obviously the department of defense has has uh and and the school itself has uh obviously they have a lot of influence in congress so um there's been um you know more and more pushback once they once they saw that we had that it was real, that we were people weren't going away, and and we were having an influence even in Congress.
1: It's just, it's amazing to me that uh, there's always this denial of torture. It, like I was just watching something last night, and you, you know the the uh, well the new CIA head Brennan, who was I, he was uh, very pro torture, but there's if I'm not mistaken, he was very pro but regardless it's just like people are like no we don't torture we, we've stopped that we never did that and it's like and then it's like here you were it's like ah there's a manual <laughs> it's like there's a hard physical piece of and it's like it's just weird like no one ever picks that up at a news, on a news show and goes well here's the like you don't see this getting out there and it's like it's so apparent we're doing all these horrid things I think if we the, the news started talking about how actually horrible America is the news would be you know, it would just be a 24-hour non-stop shit fest. <laughs> <laughs> CNN would just be called, you know, God, we're fucking awful. <laughs>
2: well, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, certainly that's how it seems like on the, the foreign policy side. It's it's very good, but yet, majority of people think that... I don't know how it works. I mean, maybe it's great to be better, I, I don't know, but people, it's it's really hard, it's, it's like a personal affront. Them if if their government does something horrible, but it's it's kind of like well we're, just, we're talking about your government, we're not talking about you. Yeah, that's um, an but.
1: interesting point. How people because that's it, the same with people who are Obama supporters, and where if you point out something wrong that he has done, like drone attacks, people get, people it's people get really upset about it, and it's like you're looking at politicians and politics, and it's like it's like and or government, and it's like historically there's really never been any great ones <laughs> you know there's been a couple of good politicians and then it's been a sea of horrible human beings it's like but uh, the school of americas has uh the school of Amer- or i'm sorry the uh the i was trying to say latin america though in a lot of ways has turned against uh, the school of americas too isn't there a lot of countries who are sort of saying okay. we're not gonna have it
2: yeah, I mean, that that in a way seems sometimes to be a more viable possibility of, of, of the way that the school will be shut down. If you don't have any countries that are willing to send troops to it, then, um, well, right, it can't be the School of America's if nobody else shows up. Um, but, uh, you know, referencing back to, you know, we started the conversation talking about Hugo Chavez's death, but, uh, you know, Hugo Chavez was the first, Leader Venezuela was the first country to pull its troops to end that 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 relationship between the U.S. and military and its military, and you know it's, I think it's part of, you know you're probably seeing the, the effects of it yesterday. That's part of the reason why I made, there wasn't a coup yesterday after he died um, because he you know the 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 military has been sufficiently. Um, you know, they've they've gotten it through that they're they're they have support. Their interests, Venezuela's interests, aren't the U.S. interests necessarily. I mean, I'm a, I don't think that they are necessarily in in opposition. But um, you know, that's that's kind of what they brainwash a lot of these these men, these soldiers, into thinking, and provide some money along with it. Then you can you end up being able to convince a lot of them. Was that right? So. I think saying, you throw some money into it. I mean, I'm just speculating. I don't have really much proof on this. This is just me, and this is not the organization's position. But um, I would think that, uh, you know, anecdotally, it seems that that's another, that's one of the ways to do it. They align, you know, they find ideologues, and they also give them material benefits for for being their, their men in in Venezuela or in Bolivia or wherever it may be. But, you know, so when you cut off this, Chavez cut off this relationship, and since then, five other countries have also done so. So a total of six countries are no longer sending troops um, to the school. And, um, you know, hopefully that will be increasing. But the U.S. definitely uh, pressures them greatly, even when they say that they're going to. Even there's been one reversal. Uh, Costa Rica announced at one point that they would stop sending their military in. Uh, they they actually don't have a, a military there, so it's like they're civil guard or whatever they call it exactly. And they're, you know, pretty, you know, have a pretty robust police force and they would send them. And um, the president, who is actually a Nobel Prize winner, um, lot of varying degrees, opinions on him from the left. Usually it's not too good, um, but... Um, he announced it and then they reversed course um, because of the pressure that came from the U S um, and, and of so who knows what types of threats or um, other levers were pulled to, to, to make them reverse that decision. It, it's, which also, you know, always brings it to this, this, I, I feel like one of the most logical questions that is, it, it, but it just kind of takes a while to kind of like get to it sometimes for some people, at least for me, it did it was you know, why do they care so much to be able to train the troops of another country? It's kind of like, why is that so important to you, to be able to train another country's military? It's not, I mean, is that for altruistic purposes? Because you have the best, you know, training possible. You just want to share this knowledge with everybody else? Like, (laughs) I don't think that's it.
1: Yeah, it's not altruistic. That's an interesting thing. It's not like we're going... Uh, into South, you know, into other countries and and vaccinating everybody and uh, purifying their water. We're just going into these other countries and going like, and here's how you kill some people.
2: Yeah, right. <laughs> it's exactly. like,
1: it's just, it's yeah. it's really, uh, it's terribly offensive, frankly. And I just want to switch gears real quick because also you're an immigration lawyer, and I, there was something I was looking at that also that you posted about and um, because I think there's a lot of I would there's so much talk of immigration and immigration reform in our media and I really don't think it's frankly it's confusing unless you really sit down and go all right I'm going to learn about what the hell this means because you just get sound bites and there was something I was looking at today about how is it accurate that under the Obama administration, more people have been deported. In uh, the 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 number of years was astronomical. Do do you recall that at all? What the?
2: Yeah. Well, somebody actually pointed out to me. I've heard different facts, and I haven't had the time to actually look into the the primary sources for for these figures. Um, somebody was telling me that actually that was incorrect, but. Um, I think it really kind of depends on how you categorize uh, historical immigration policy, and I think my suspicion is that obama 's administration um, you know will given that it 's been deporting uh, roughly you know it was a little bit under now it 's a little bit over four hundred thousand people a year um so that would bring us to, at this point, 1.6 million, um, and that that number would be more than basically had ever been deported in the history of the United States. Um, just because in the past they didn't, you know, there wasn't an immigration policy of of deportation. You basically um, got to stay almost no matter what, um, except for very specific, sometimes um, you know, discrimination against specific nationalities, you know, one of the first immigration laws was the Chinese Exclusion Act. Um and then there was, you know, just very specific quotas on on some countries and they just kinda of wouldn't let you in. Um, so you wouldn't there wasn't much of a need for deportation, you just really didn't get in to begin with. And then there wasn't so much deportation once you were in, um, even if you committed crimes, you just kinda of served your time and you were uh, once again, released, um, but uh, so. But obviously, there has there. But there are people that get deported. There are people that have been getting deported for the last hundred years or so, or, or more. And um, uh, I think that what the reference is is to actual judicial processes where there's a you know a judge that says, or at least some sort of administrator that has the reviews your case reviews. You know what arguments do you have? Any arguments for your ability to stay here? Are you an asylum seeker? I mean, that's part of international law. You know, it's not even the U.S. isn't doing anybody any favors. It would be the only country in the world that didn't grant asylum if it chose not to do that. So it gives that um, that opportunity, and then the judge <clears throat> declares, you know, you you don't have a right to be here, and you are ordered removed. So um, and what people have had prior removal orders. For, you know, they're called removal orders. Now they used to call them deportation orders, but, um, and then they'll, you know, part of those, those numbers also count for people that they might've had a really old order. Um, and then they get picked up again and, and actually, you know, physically expelled, uh, involuntarily in the plane. So, um, I think that those numbers don't, but they, they definitely wouldn't have counted For example, you know, the person who told me those numbers along wrong was specifically brought up the Mexican repatriation. It was just something that happened over several decades, if I'm not mistaken, from the 30s through the 50s, where um, at least 500,000, if not more, some some estimates for a million or million and a half, million um, and a half Mexican-Americans, This, which has also included many, many, many U.S. citizens, um... People who were born in the United States, but where their parents were born in Mexico, were expelled from the country in mass uh, with roundups, with just, you know, rating specific, you know, Mexican enclaves uh, in in areas around in the West, mostly, um, but also Michigan and um, Illinois, which are places that have had Mexican immigration for, you know, a very long time nothing new to them, but they were uh, expelled in mass. And a lot of people also, because of the fear, just, you know, volu- you know, it's quasi- <laughs> not completely voluntary, right? When you feel like you have to leave, but um, instead of being uh, physically uh, arrested and, and, and removed and, and with a kick to the ass, decided to just, just you know, cross back into Mexico or for some people, we've just crossed into Mexico since they had never been there before, but they look Mexican. So, out of that fear, they 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 they, they went back. Um, but I, I think that lots of those numbers wouldn't be counted. That's not. So it's a kind of a technicality, right? Um, and what's worse, I'm not sure what's what's worse, right? If, do we count those as deportations or not? I mean, it's pretty it's pretty bad either whichever way you slice it is
1: is obama not as great as he appears to be with uh, immigration cuz he he talked a pretty big game uh, <clears throat> uh in this past election but uh i mean Why? Just...
2: i mean i think it depends on who you ask i think if you uh ask the right wing he's horrible on <laughs> immigration i think if you ask uh immigrant rights advocates he's pretty bad. There's some more mainstream immigrant rights organizations that are in the, firmly in the democratic sphere of influence and they're not going to talk uh, bad about the Dems and Obama. Um, but uh, And then if you ask, you know, hardcore Obama supporters, you know, then, then that's going to be, you're going to get a, a a different response than people that are actually living it. It's, 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 it's pretty complicated, I think. It's a complicated situation as far as what what you know? What even Latinos think? Because it's like, well, they overwhelmingly Latinos overwhelmingly voted for him, and obviously these are people that can't vote for him unless you're a citizen. So it's obviously not people that actually have personally have their 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 skin in the game as far as um, immigration reform and um, deportations are are involved. But they're you know could be married to somebody who is or, or have family member very close family members, um, parents or kids or whatever that 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 don't have documents. So um, you know, they voted for him, but I don't think that that's – that's not a testament to his um, – to people's praise of his immigration policies. It's more of a – it was just a fear of the Republicans, <laughs> uh, given that they couldn't – you know, just tripping over each other to, to sound craziest, except Newt Gingrich. But that was kind of an anomaly, right? Yeah.
1: Uh, yeah. I just – I heard Pat Buchanan say something the other day. I mean, it was from an old clip, but I was just like – I was shocked to hear him say something positive about, and it was about homosexuals. And I was just like, "Oh my lord!" Then, like two seconds later, he said something horrible. Ass. It was like, "Oh, all right, we're back to normal."
2: But um... yeah, that's <laughs> weird, like that, huh? Every yeah. I mean, once in a while, you're like, "Oh my god, he's 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 making sane he's making sane arguments that nobody else makes," and then like the next sentence, it's like, "Oh, that's right."
1: Yeah, <laughs> that's right. You're a, you're a filthy, awful person. Um, Arturo, I want to th- uh, thank you again for uh, uh, taking out the time to uh, talk to me. And I promise you, I'm going to save this file immediately. You put it on my computer, so nothing bad can happen to it.
2: <laughs> um, okay, yeah, no worries. And, uh, and we had to I, do it twice. Uh, we didn't I kept them veering away from the actual School of America's question. Sorry, but just a little tired.
1: It's all right. I I uh I just real quick I want to uh want you to plug uh, some websites and uh April Lobby Days is coming up which is I, I believe a very important thing for the School of Americas watch. Um right. And uh, I, I do well, have, correct. Uh, and uh, yeah, uh-huh. sh- oh, just share with us what uh, April Lobby Days is and and the School of the Americas watch website.
2: Well, um... April Lobby Days um, will be uh, here from April 7th, which is a Sunday, through April 10th, uh, which is a Wednesday, um, about a month from now, which uh, people from all over the country that support uh, the work of our organization, uh, School of America's Watch, and, or just maybe not even necessarily um, the, the organization, but the cause, the movement to close the uh, School of the Americas will uh, travel to Washington, D.C. for workshops and then um, to set up, and we'll have set up some meetings with their uh, congressional representatives um, in the House of Representatives right now. It's just focused on, on that. That's what the bill is, is going through, and they will um, ask for them to become sponsors of uh, what, what is known as the Latin America Military Training Review Act, um, and which asks for the suspension and investigation of the School of the Americas uh, slash WENSEC, um, and uh, that w- will be, again, April 7th through the 10th. And Some cultural events and some rallies will also be involved and uh, will be capped off with an uh, immigrant rights just by coincidence, it's also the last day we had already had it scheduled, and then it, it was um, also now scheduled by uh, the migrant rights organizations as uh, a big, a huge rally for for immigration reform, and um, so we will participate in that as bring in into, hopefully bring it be part of a contingent that brings attention to the. Uh, The role of uh, free trade agreements and economic policies, as well as the militarization of of Latin America, uh, which the School of Americas is is an important part of, that also leads to conditions that make people leave their their countries of origin for the United States. So, um, if anybody, if any of your listeners are interested in, in, in that, or you know, people don't have to come out here. I know Washington is extremely far away from Los Angeles, and Many other many other parts of this of this huge country. So um, do we also have information on how to set up um, congressional visits in their home district, So um, somewhere close to where you live, and also just you know a lot of it's just even emails, phone calls, those things. All those things help. Sometimes these Congress people, they their conscience uh, leads them to understanding that this uh, institution um, should not be operating at the ready shouldn't be operating the way that it has and does. So, but sometimes they, they need to hear from, from even a handful of constituents that, that will, uh, allow them, you know, give them a better opportunity to, 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 to go with their conscience and, and not listening to the, to the bullshit arguments from, from the department of Defense. Um, and if anybody is interested, they can always email me, um, Arturo is A-R-T-U-R-O at S-O-A-W dot org and that's for School of the America's Watch again, so S-O-A-W dot org and Arturo is A-R-T-U-R-O
1: Yeah, and and if you go to the website, all your information's on there as well, and and I follow you on Twitter, always and Facebook (laughs) and there's always, I mean, you're always posting very um, informative and important things, so uh, check. Oh, thank you. And uh, I just thank you again, Arturo, very much for taking out the time to do this. Well,
2: thank you for having me on the, on the show.
1: Thank you for listening to Conversations with Matt Dwyer. If you, if you uh, enjoyed the show and you'd like to donate some dough to help us out, because we do very bare bones here. We do this. We don't have advertisers. We don't have any of that. So I just uh, I rely on your... Uh, feel free to donate something. You know, maybe don't buy a cup of coffee today at the Starbucks. Make it at home. Send me a few bucks. <laughs> uh, you know, I got to buy a lot of magazines. I have to be well read for this thing, this show. Also, um, if you can't afford to donate, I know these times are tough. You can go to uh, my page there at feralaudio.com. You can go through the, the Amazon link and purchase stuff, and then I get a kickback. And that would be great. Uh, also, follow me on Twitter, Matt underscore wire at uh, the uh That way you'll know when I'm having shows. They come out every Wednesday, but, you know, what guests are happening, what shows I'm doing, blah, blah, blah. And uh, rate my show on the uh, iTunes there, would you?
2: Give me a little review or something.
1: Um, all right. Hey, thanks for listening, everybody. Power to the people. Government. It
0: is the mission of the National Security Agency to assess and flag citizens of the country who may present a threat to its
2: security. The NSA has clearance to wiretap by any means necessary.
0: Tapped. Incidental recordings of private conversations from the files of the NSA.
1: Now on feralaudio.com.